This morning's scripture reading will be from Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. Again, that's Romans chapter 3, 21 through 26. And it says, But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom he set forth a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance God has passed over the sins that were previously committed, to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. And so this morning, uh, John's lesson is entitled, But Now Justified in Christ Jesus. Good morning. Uh, got your Bibles. Keep those open to Romans chapter 3. Uh, we'll continue our text as we've been going through that for the last few weeks. Uh, but as we begin, let us go to our Father in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for bringing us together this morning. That we might sing our praises, that we might come to you in prayer. We've been able to gather around our Lord's table and remember his sacrifice. Father, we pray that you would open our hearts and minds now as we open your word. And that you would illuminate uh, our understanding, and that you would transform our will, that we might be more like Jesus, to your glory and honor always. In his name we pray, amen. But now, that's this transitional point. Paul is moving us from the devastating but necessary truth that uh, he had laid down about humanity's bondage to sin, and uh, of course, he's now moving to the glories of the good news, Right? Uh, the universal problem of mankind uh, is uh, guilt and penalty uh, that is due to us because of our sin. And he talked about the wrath of God having already been revealed in part, and it's going to be poured out in, in judgment in full measure. And those are pretty insurmountable problems for humanity, aren't they? Uh, that problem of unrighteousness is a problem for everybody. And so it's a message for us today as equally as it was uh, for them in Paul's day. It's a message for all. But now, but now there is hope. But now there's an escape. But now there's a righteousness from God for the hopelessly lost sinner like you and me. And it's, a, it's available, and we looked at this last week, it's been avail made available apart from the law. It's apart from the law. It's through faith in Christ Jesus. And we saw last week that even, even the law and the prophets, there was a shadow, a type of this truth, that it was always uh, the only way for sinful men and women to be saved. It was always going to be, and it's always, ha always has been, uh, that people are made righteous as a gift from God. It's through faith in God, in his work, in his provision, in his promise of sending a Messiah. Uh, so whether you live before Jesus coming, 
that it was still the reality that you had to have faith in him. But now, Paul says, and we looked at this again last week, that this is no longer just in type or shadow. Now it's been fully revealed. Now it has been, as we saw in other translations, it's been manifested in Jesus Christ's coming into the world. And so as we closed last week, we really camped on the fact that, that Jesus changes everything, doesn't he? Uh, that, that the incarnation of Jesus Christ is the turning point of all history. And you may mark your calendars a lot of different ways, but the most important event in all of human history, and it's how we in, our, in the West measure time, is at the incarnation. And so we're diving in, and we want to dive in today to examine why this is so. Why is Jesus coming so important? Why is that central? What, uh, why is this how we are uh, the recipients of God's righteousness? Because this is fundamental to understanding our faith. Right? You, you, you can't just, when we talk about having faith, that, that's just not some kind of willy-nilly kind of, uh, I kind of just have this sense of, uh, of well-being or no, our, our faith is grounded. He says our faith in Christ is our connection to the righteousness of God. And so it's fundamental. Under, we want to dive into this and understand because that it, it forms our faith and it informs our faith, right? Uh, our, our faith needs to be genuine that we can actually assent to these historic truths, right? We talk about this is important, that Christ actually came and did something so that we can put our trust in what he has done, in what God has done, and what God has declared so that we can receive his righteousness that isn't our own, right? Our righteousness doesn't come from within us, it comes from him. And when we talk about faith, we, we need to understand that requires understanding. I know some people have this notion that faith is kind of blind. Well, faith is in things unseen, as the Hebrew writer tells us, but it's not irrational. right? God doesn't call us to an irrational kind of, uh, you know what, despite everything, everything, everything you see says, uh, I just want you to believe the contrary. No, that's not what God has done. God has demonstrated throughout history, that we might have faith so that we, we could put our trust in him. And so when we talk about faith, we talk about assent a, a and, and, and believing uh, these truths and then putting our trust in that, that we need to know the truth of the object of our faith. Who, in whom are we placing our faith? There is an object of our faith, and that is God. And and his son, Christ Jesus. And even a childlike faith, I'm not saying we don't have a child, or call it a childlike faith, but understand that even a childlike faith has to know the person in whom they're trusting, right? If your kids trust dad or mom, it's because they know mom or dad, and they know something about what they've said and what they've declared. 
And that's true of us. If we're going to trust God, we need to know God. And we need to know what he said. And so when we, we talk about our, our, our righteousness and being connected to the righteousness of, of God through faith in Christ, Paul says, well, I want you to understand how that's accomplished. And so he says, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. I want to just stop there. Uh, that'll be our text this morning. Because Paul addresses this justification by faith. He wants to describe the basis or the, the grounds by which the righteousness of God comes to be ours. And he uses language from, from three spheres of life. He, he uses the language from the law courts. He uses the language from the slave markets. And he uses the language from the altar, the sacrificial system. All three of those he's, he's employed in just that short passage that I just read. Because he wants us to understand the fullness of what God has done and how it is possible that his righteousness can be ours. Because that's our faith. Our faith is in him and, and what he has done. And so before addressing the actual grounds uh, of our righteousness, we are reminded here of what are not the grounds. And that is, it's not our merits. Right? He states right from the beginning that our justification is given freely by his grace. It is a gift, freely given. Now, you say we've already touched on that. We have, but you can, we cannot stress this truth enough because this is probably the most hotly contested uh, truth uh, in the scriptures because people don't like this aspect of it. I don't know why. Well, I do because inside, ultimately, our pride doesn't like to receive the free gift. We want to take credit. We want somehow to have been a part of this or, or to have been worthy enough or something other than just that it's an absolutely gratuitous gift from God. And that's what the Bible teaches us. It is from His grace. We've done nothing whatsoever to deserve this. Not even the slightest degree of merit or that we have to offer as some kind of ground as our acceptance. There is nothing in us, nothing in me, nothing in you to deserve this gift of salvation. There is no cause for it as far as we're concerned. Right? There, there was nothing in you that just like, oh, well, no. I guess maybe they are worth saving. You know, I just, I did get a glimmer the other day. And, and you know what? It looks like, yeah, I didn't see that before. Maybe, you know, no, no, there is no cause for it as far as we're concerned. It's something we receive completely freely. And all the wonder of that, 
when, you, when you're confronted with that, when it hits you, when it sinks in, and you're looking uh, up to God in prayer, and you just re realize the depths of the implications. It is so marvelous. This unmerited favor, this kindness that has been shown to someone who's so utterly undeserving. And folks, that's good news. It may be news that you wrestle with, and you just sit there scratching it, because then it brings you to the point where you're, you're in your prayer life, and you're just you're looking up into the vastness of God's creation that just shouts of his glory, and you wonder to yourself, God, why on earth did you save me? I can't comprehend it. Not if I look within. And folks, you know, one of the failures people have and why they feel so often a lack of security in their salvation is because they haven't come to grips with grace. Because somewhere in the back of their mind, they're constantly thinking to themselves, you know, if God just knew what I know about me, I think he might rescind the whole salvation thing. And you're constantly reminded, and you're, you're, you're constantly, uh, you know, looking in the mirror and suddenly think, oh my goodness, that is, what kind of horror is living inside of me? I must, I, I don't know, I don't think God could save somebody like that. God wouldn't save somebody like that. God, God, God saves now, you, you see the frustration when you, when you fail to receive what God has told us? That, that his salvation is a free gift. It's something that results from the sole exercise of his love. It's an overflow from him. Right? It's unmerited favor. On people that are utterly undeserving, there's nothing in me to stimulate him to, to give me salvation. It's something in him that overflows to give somebody unworthy salvation. It's an outworking of his love, of his grace. It's an expression of, the, of a love that we really don't fully understand because we are so fallen. Until we receive by grace the salvation that is from Christ. It is the great love in God's heart. It is grace that arises solely from within him and who he is without anything whatsoever in us to produce it. It is who he is. And thanks be to God that that is who he is. And when you're up there and you're praying and you're just racking your brain and, and confused as to why on earth God would have saved a sinner like you, praise him for who he is. Because that's the kind of God he is. A God that saves people entirely in spite of who we are. It is God himself, he alone, who provides our justification. He's the one whom we've defied, we've disobeyed, we've, we've been in rebellion against, we've sinned against him, we provo provoke him. And yet he sent his son. 
by grace. By grace we are justified, Paul says. It's a legal term. It talks about pardoning. Uh, Isaiah chapter 40, uh, verse 2 uh, says this, Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. For she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sin. Her iniquity is pardoned. It's a pardoning. Right? It's a legal term. It, it, it's, it's being given the status of being right with the law. I'm suddenly not standing in a wrong relationship to the law. I'm standing in a right relationship. And therefore all of the the blessings are, uh, if there's blessings associated with it, it can be mine. And any kind of penalties, I don't need to worry about because I stand in a right relationship to the law. Right? If you're you're shooting through uh, Payson, Arizona, and uh, you uh, are going the speed limit. You don't freak out when you come around a uh, curve there, and there's that thing that's there. Uh, they they monitor that by automated stuff, right? You don't. It, they don't need a cop there. They just. Um, and no, I've never gotten a ticket there, but I, I always. I always see it there, and I'm thinking to myself, huh, I wonder how many people get nailed by that, because, I mean, you're coming around a mountain road, and they're, hey. But you're, if you're justified, that means I stand in right relation. I don't need to worry about that, right? But this is a justification. It's not because I was doing everything right. It's like I came flying around the curve doing 75, and the law says you should be, you know, penalized. And yet somebody else comes along and says, no, you're you're good. You're as far as I'm looking at your account, you're you're all you're all square with the law. Therefore, there's no penalties. And that's done by imputation. We talked about that. In the past, that's that's an accounting term uh, in, in the scripture, uh, but that's where all the righteous requirements of the law have been on, put on our account. Somebody goes and, and looks and says, "Well, I look at the chart sheet, but no, that's that's not you. There's everything's been taken care of. You you've done this perfectly. It's not there by what you and I have done, right? That was our problem in the first place. I don't I don't keep the law right." And therefore, I don't stand in a right relationship to the law. And therefore, I don't stand in a right relationship with God. But Paul says we've been justified apart from the law. That is, we do stand in a right relationship with it, but not on our, by our work, but by God's grace that's been imputed to us through Jesus. It's by his active obedience we talk about uh, in Scripture. Uh, He has lived a perfect life. He fulfilled, as as Chris pointed out at the Lord's Supper, uh, all of the righteousness of the law. He kept it all perfect. He did everything that that God has called humanity to do, to live for his glory. Not just in deeds, but in words and in thought, in motivation. Perfect. Perfect. 
And that righteousness of Christ has been imputed, put on our account. Folks, if that's not good news, you haven't recognized your, your problem. But this is the good news. He says, this is the redemption that we have in Christ Jesus. Now, the question does arise to, to people that are thinking, you know, it's like, well, what? How can there be justice? How can there be righteousness? How can there be judgment? And at all the same time, this extension of grace. Does God just kind of look at the requirements and say, well, Jesus kept them, so that's good. No. It's through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, and he has here the language of the slave market. So justification is a, a legal term. Now we have this idea of redemption, which comes from, uh, well, it, it, there are lots of different ways you could redeem. I, I used, uh, what, those C&H stamps and the blue chip stamps, all those from uh, earlier days. Uh, there was one, that's one way of thinking about it. But in, in Paul's day, the primary thing he's thinking about here is, is, is slave markets. And not necessarily just a slave market, but being a slave, you might be, you're owned by somebody else, then there was a price if you wanted to be redeemed, right? If you wanted to get out of that, if you wanted your freedom, there's a, a, a ransom price, they would call it. Don't, don't necessarily, don't think like ransom and kidnapping, but it, I mean, there's some similarities, I guess, but this is a, a ransom price. And so redemption speaks of a deliverance that is affected by the payment of a ransom, right? Somebody else could do that, like a family member, uh, could go ahead and uh, get enough money. Now, of course, in their day, you could, if you could earn money on the side as a slave, you might earn your own uh, redemption. But that's not true in the case of spiritual things, right? Salvation's given to us as a free gift. It is by God's grace, but it doesn't happen merely by declaration by God. God doesn't just uh, say you're free and you're free. No, because he, because of God's eternal justice and righteousness, something else has to happen for you and I to be redeemed, for forgiveness to actually be made possible. As one preacher says, even God could not justify the ungodly simply by uttering a word of forgiveness. I know that maybe messes with your head a little bit, but by God's own nature, his righteousness, his justice requires payment. And Jesus Christ, our Lord, didn't just come into the world to announce a way of salvation, right? He didn't just come down to teach kind of a new way to follow the law or, or, or somehow to, you know, get your head around uh, things that you know, give me 12 steps to kind of get everything lined up, and if I, I just get this program and processed, and, and maybe I'll do it better this time. No, he came to make the way. So much as he involved in making the way of salvation, he actually describes himself, as the scriptures does this, he is the way, right? He, he doesn't just teach you a, a way. And the disciples said, wait, you're the way. Where do you go? We don't even know where you're going. He says, but, but you know me. I am the way. 
Uh, listen to the Hebrew writer uh, describes him in this way as our new and living way into the presence of God. Hebrews chapter 10 uh, verses 19 and 20. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiness of the Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. He's using imagery from the tabernacle and the temple. There was that division. He couldn't really come into the presence of God. Even the high priest only come in once a year. But Jesus, he says, has made a new way into the presence of God by himself, by his flesh. He has redeemed us. And that's why the, the New Testament is, is an apostolic eyewitness, isn't it? Right? It's not just philosophy. In fact, it's not philosophy. It's an eyewitness proclamation. Our faith is a, a testimony of apostles who saw what Jesus did, how he died, how he was buried, how he was resurrected, how he ascended. It is a testimony of the Holy Spirit himself who testifies of the truth of all of those things by doing many miracles through the apostles to, to verify that they were messengers from God in giving this eyewitness testimony of who Jesus is and what he did. And what he did is to redeem us. He came to do something. That, I, that redemption word used ten times in the New Testament. It's a Greek word. Again, it's about loosing or releasing the bonds of a prisoner or a slave by payment. It's the purchase of a release. And that's what Jesus is doing. Because of our sin, we are not only guilty before God, but the Bible says we are in bondage. We've become slaves of sin. Right? So we kind of a double whammy. Not only am I I'm guilty before God, but I'm enslaved to sin. I'm in bondage to it. And unlike some slaves of, of antiquity, I actually don't have a way to ever get myself out of it. There, there is no program where I could ever uh, pay to get out of bondage. And Paul has, of course, carefully proven that, right? That's why uh, chapter 1, 2, 3, the beginning of 3, were, were kind of devastating, but he wanted us to understand this so clearly. We're helpless. We're entirely helpless. We're unable to pay the price. And that's why this is so good news, isn't it? It says, praise be to God, the, another has paid the price for us, and that's Jesus. What Jesus is doing in coming to earth and living a perfect life and going to the cross is to redeem, to pay the price. By his work, he's purchased us and set us free. He set us at liberty to now serve God and to stand in his presence, to have fellowship with our creator without any hindrance. He makes justification and redemption possible. 
And Paul wants us to understand this about our faith. It is very, very precise. It is very methodical. It's, it's understandable. There's something going on. It's not just a warm, fuzzy feeling I get one day. I'm like, that's good. I feel better. I don't feel so guilty. And he says, that had to be accomplished by the work of Jesus. In fact, he is the only way. He's not just the way. He is the only way. It's Christ crucified. There is, understand this, there is no deliverance from sin. There is, in fact, there is no Christianity apart from Jesus and his redemptive work. Just read what Paul says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15. You know, people that have, you know, uh, even liberal, uh, quote, Christians, who have come to say, well, you know, it doesn't really matter if Jesus lived or if these things actually happened. It's just kind of a, it's just an ethical or a moral kind of system. That is in complete opposition to the actual teaching of Jesus himself and all of Scripture. Without Jesus actually coming to earth and actually doing what he did, that is living a perfect life and then going to the cross and being resurrected and ascending, there is no deliverance. This is what Jesus came to do. He understood it. And that's why he says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. The same language Paul is using here. This redemptive work. A payment has got to be made. And Jesus says, I've come to make that payment. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 and 12. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. That is, not of this creation. Jesus didn't come to just kind of further the work of the, of the Mosaic Covenant. No, he came for to be a high priest of the good things to come, that good news, the gospel, that he's come to usher in something better. Everything that that was pointing to. Why? Because not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, and we'll talk about that more next week, his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Uh, we could camp on that too, couldn't we? Not only uh, is, is, is his redemption good for, for then and all time, but that's a reminder too that that redemption sticks. <laughs> and that is our redemption that we can cling to always. That's not a redemption that's going to wear out or need to be renewed later. We're not going to have to have another sacrifice again. We don't have to worry that somehow down the line Christ won't be good enough. He's paid in all. First Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, again, he uses the same kind of language. He says, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by traditions from your fathers. He says, you know what? You were redeemed, but it wasn't with corruptible stuff. Well, see how this ties into what the Hebrew writer said, this eternal redemption. And Peter says, look, in your redemption, it wasn't with things that perish. 
It wasn't with things that can wear out, because then maybe your redemption would wear out. No, no. You weren't redeemed that way. He says, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. For he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. That's our faith. That's our faith. And unless we're clear about this, right? Unless you're clear uh, about this matter of, of faith, uh, of redemption, of what Jesus has done, then you're missing the very essence of the Christian gospel. And what, whoever, whatever you are, if you don't understand this, you really aren't a Christian. For by grace you have been saved through faith, Paul writes in Ephesians 2.8. And that is a gift from God. It's all by grace, by that grace has made it possible. God has sent his son so that through his redeeming work in Christ Jesus, you and I might be saved. Well, Paul has one more point for us to recognize. As I said, he has the language of, uh, of the law. We look at that. We, he had the language of the slave market and he has uh, the language of the altar. But we'll uh, address that next week and kind of break this into a part two. Um, because there is the propitiation issue and that we want to dive into that uh, more carefully. But what we must take away from this, what, what, what he said to us so far is such a bold declaration, isn't it? And the reminder that all we need is found in the Lord Jesus Christ and in him alone. Everything you need for salvation, and in fact, everything that is needed for salvation is found in Jesus Christ. There is no one else, right? I know we live in this, this multicultural, pluralistic uh, world that kind of bits and pieces all over here. I've got a little of this, i got a little of that, and somehow I'm carving together my whole uh, deal. No. It's in Jesus and in Jesus alone. There is no one else to whom we can turn. There's no philosophers. There's no gurus. There's no warrior. There's no scientist. There's no priest. There's not even ourselves. Now, I know that's who we turn to mostly in this age, isn't it? None of that will do. The Christian, the Christian is one who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ, who has received their faith by grace, as Paul says in Ephesians 2.8. And we are those who look to him as the author and finisher of our salvation. We are ones that look to Jesus. And with the hope, uh, with the same uh, hope that the hymn writer speaks of, declare, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. 
Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. Well, let us rejoice in this hope. Let us rejoice in our confidence and take joy and 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 give thanksgiving and, and praise to God. As, as Paul writes in the Philippians, we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Where's your confidence this morning? Your confidence is either in Christ Jesus and the grace of God imparted to you through him, or it's in something else, something that fails, something that cannot atone, and something that cannot bring justification. Now, the message is yours. If you need to respond and commit your life to Christ, if you will hear his word today and recognize that Apart from Jesus, you have no hope. Not, not even an ounce of hope. Uh, not, not even, not, not the, not even, there's no, no chance that you will ever stand before the judgment seat of God with anything but condemnation apart from Jesus. But the good news of the gospel is that in Christ Jesus, you will stand before God robed in his righteousness. And he'll look at you as his adopted child. An adoption paid for by God's grace in sending Jesus, his son, to die in your place.